Welcome to Monday Mornings with Michelle, the new business podcast. Whether you're kicking off your day or kickstarting your business, Michelle is going to kick your ass into next week with the essential fours. Strategy, systems, support, and state of mind. Now, welcome to center stage, Michelle Nedelec. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec. I am super glad you are here with us today because I have the most amazing guest. I was in talking to him, getting to know him, and we figured I got to get you right on the podcast. So my guest, Kevin, is an awesome storyteller, and I want you to give them all the goods on you. So welcome, Kevin. Thank you for being here. I'm glad to be here and, and to share a little bit about stories. <laughs> nice. So give us a 5,000-foot view of uh, who you are and what you do. Wow. Okay. 5,000 foot. Uh, I am, am, I'm currently an assistant professor in education uh, at Ohio University, Lancaster, but I'm also um, a full-time narrative consultant and professional storyteller. Um, and I've traveled to 40 states, England, Japan, Singapore, most recently Qatar, uh, Scotland, uh, and I'm missing a couple, but, uh, but I love listening as much as I love telling. Awesome. So uh, poor Kevin is being uh, kind of thrown under the bus, so to speak, in that he has no clue what he just got himself into, which is exactly the way I like it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the name of the show is Business uh, Ownership Podcast. And basically, it's for business owners who are looking to scale their business. And I happen to be of the firm belief that when an executive learns how to tell their story better, and more effectively that they make more money because they're relating to people in a better, more effective way. So that's why I've invited you here. And uh, as I said before, I want to get all this stuff on in recording because it was awesome, super fun. So you were saying that you were one of the first people storytelling in schools. Tell me more. Well, I'm, I'm one, according to the National Storytelling Network, I'm one of the, I am the first full-time high school storytelling teacher in the United States. Um, but I also started the Youth Educator Storyteller Special Interest Group, um, and I'm working, uh, you know, I did the National Youth Storytelling Olympics, now Showcase. Uh, I dedicated a legacy to, to working with youth in story, and then as a result of that, started working with adults, because we all have stories. And whether it's our own personal story, our business story, or what, the, what we want to make uh, an impact on, we need a little help. We definitely need listeners before we go out and tell our stories. Very cool. So there's an Olympics on storytelling? <laughs> well, the person thought that she would get sued, so they, she did change. Uh, and it was across all 50 states. People would send videos, um, and I would have committees. It was started by Dr. Flora Joy at East Tennessee State University and passed on to me. Uh, and uh, it wasn't as much competitive once you got here because it's the spirit of being a grand torchbearer of storytelling. Oh, that's fun. And you're also <laughs> saying something about the, since the story jam movement, what is the story jam movement? I would love it if it was called the story jam movement, but it's actually the story slam movement. Okay. Uh, and what is that? But no worries. Um, a lot of people think of storytelling as sitting on, uh, sitting on a library, listening to someone read a book. Well, that's story reading. Storytelling is without any kind of book. 
Uh, you can tell fairy tales and folk tales and ghost stories, but there's a movement afoot for personal tales and even and competitive personal tales that are being told in bars. Uh, most people know the moth or this much is true. Uh, amazing things going on in Chicago, the Tellery in Canada, a number of different places are really pushing what storytelling is. Uh, and I want to be a part of that, but I also want to put my foothold in, in the myths, in the folk tales, because, you know, those were the story, those were the story slams of old, and these are the story slams of new. Story is being redesigned by storytellers and business people and coaches and priests, and I know a doctor that completely uh, asks all his patients for their stories before they ever talk about ailments. Wow. Well, that's super cool. And what is competitive storytelling? That oh. is hilarious. Uh, well, let me give you one example. In West Virginia, there's the Liars Contest. My friend Bill Lepp has won it three times and been a judge twice. He can't enter anymore. He's a former Methodist minister or a Presbyterian minister. I have to check. Uh, and, and he tells a lie for 45 minutes or for 15 minutes and goes around the country just telling lies. But then there's also competitive storytelling in the sense of um, uh, uh, urban legends and ghost stories. And people have been paid quite handsomely to tell stories. I mean, they've been paid free, uh, a bunch of cookies. And then I've got a friend that makes $3,000 an hour just telling stories. Really? <laughs> that is awesome. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I absolutely love a good story. We were in uh, London and we did the the ghost tours of London. And that was awesome and fantastic, of course, because I'd never been anywhere that old in my life. Like, I mean, you can say that the prairies are old, but they're not really. <laughs> move for the story and not the object. I mean, I've been on those tours where they're like, this is this place, even a ghost store. Uh, this is this place, but the ones that say, let me stop and tell you what happened here 15 years ago, just, and I was there. Yeah. Like, Louisiana knows how to tell those stories. Louisiana knows how to tell a good story. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and there is a really cool place in, um, believe it or not, there is a, a town in, I think it's a city now in Canada called Moose Jaw. And it was the underground um, city for Al Capone and the Underground Railway, uh, literally underground city still exists there and they all get dressed up and they all play their characters and they all tell the story of uh, Al Capone in, in the 1920s. It was awesome. See that? And, and they're able to play, you know, good storytellers uh, give themselves permission to play. I've actually written a book called Playing with Stories, Story Crafting for Writers, Teachers, and Other Imaginative Thinkers. And a lot of storytellers will go to a script first, or they will learn um, from the whole idea. Uh, I say you need to play in the world before you ever write anything down, because you can be handcuffed to your ideas. And the same, same for business. We need to give ourselves to permission to play. Uh, a lot of people think, well, I need my brand story and everybody has to tell the same way. No, you need to play with the way that the story that you are wanting others to share because they're never gonna tell it the same way. The janitor or custodian is never gonna tell the way that um, one of the people who own the, the business, but if they can play with the brand, then they're gonna make that mark. 
Nice. Well, tell us some of the, the components of storytelling. And the reason I'm super intrigued by this is I have a best-selling book called Business Ownership Mindset, and I got one review that said, the author hasn't learned how to intrigue the audience yet, but it's got some really good content. <laughs> oh, you're killing me. The pain. Oh, my! you just stabbed my baby right in the heart. But well, I, I went, okay, you're probably right. I probably can't tell a story. So. Well, no, I would disagree with that. If you have a best-selling book, I think you've been able to entice some, uh, and many for that matter. Um, it's funny that you mentioned that because the newest work that I'm doing is on narrative mindset um, and borrowing from Carol Dweck's growth and fixed mindset. But honestly, I've been doing practices that what happens when you think and respond narratively. Uh, the, the brain is wired, according to the story, uh, William Storer's book, The Science of Storytelling, there are 85,000, it's, it's as though the brain is going around the globe four times fast every second. It's the fastest thing that we can do. But according to Kendall Haven, who wrote a book called Story Proof that looked at like 500 quantitative and qualitative studies on narrative, he says 98% of stories don't work unless you know how to make them work. And so here's a secret. <laughs> how do you make them work? <laughs> All stories work toward change or against change. We are, according to Donald Davis, according to myself, a plot-obsessed culture. When, when we're a kid, the, uh, the teacher comes up and says, what's your story about? The most boring question that you can ask. The real juice of story, the real wiring of story is in trouble. Jerome Bruner, a social psychologist said, trouble is the engine of narrative, trouble and character. So you can put this to your business where they're troubled or you interrupt, um, uh, or let's just take something like Little Red Riding Hood. The story of Little Red Riding Hood is boring. It's about a, a girl that meets a wolf, but what if the, the girl knows karate and she's a seventh degree black belt? What if the wolf lost his mother the day before? It changes the story. So you constantly, if you're giving your elevator speech, which you know I don't like elevator speeches because every audience is different. You don't want to pattern the same thing. You want to move an emotional impact toward change. And you're not selling a product. You're selling the story, the history, and the relationship of that product. So if you think less about what is the plot, let me tell you the history of our business. Let me tell you the history of our design. Instead, where are the impact moments? Where are the moments that you can stop and say, oh, well, let's change, this is how I can change this. Let's disrupt the traditional story so that you can show how change works. Nice. <laughs> I'm loving it, awesome. So you have how many books out? I have three books. Uh, I have one that will be out in fall, but I just edited that. I did another one on social justice, uh, social um, action stories, because I asked someone about social justice and they said they just, that, that people who don't know social justice are using the word inappropriately. So I thought about social action. I have a book called Raising Voices, Creating Youth Storytelling Groups and Troops. I have the book on play and um, I was raised on stories from West Virginia. So I have a book called You Don't Know Jack, a a storyteller goes to school. Uh, and I'm working on a new book um, on developing a narrative mindset, ways that you can look at, you may be wired for story, but you're not hooked up. 
<laughs> exactly. We, we love hearing them, but we don't necessarily know how to tell them for sure. Well, if you don't have an intention, if you're merely, so I, I did a workshop just yesterday for a uh, federation of Asian storytellers. Um, and we did a dozen developing ways to get a narrative mindset. So uh, if you ask me a question, I don't really have to say yes or no. I can say that reminds me of this. You could be very, very direct. You could say, could I tell you a story? Or you could say, uh, have you considered some of the most powerful words that we can use, whether it's at a school, a business, or just ourselves, is I imagine, have you considered, and I wonder. That moves action toward narrative and asks, it's an invitation for, for whoever's listening to you to listen to you more. Nice. I love it. And what boggles my mind, I lose the words, is to me, story is so fundamental to be able to grow a business. It depends on the frontline person. It's like, even, you know, what would you like to eat? And would you like fries with that? Like you really want to be able to tell a story as fast as you can of what this meal is going to be about, how enticing it is. A restaurateur, when they're describing the menu, and what the specials of the day are, if they can tell that narrative in a story, it becomes so enticing. It's, it's, it's your copywriting, it's your customer service, it's your sales, it's your, even if you go IPO, the better your story is, the more you entice people with that, the more tempted they are to throw their money at you because they, they love that story. It's like, I want to, any excuse I can to hang around with you guys and tell me more. So they give you more money to do it. Some, uh, all that is true, except for one thing is that there are some places that you're trying to go fast when you need to slow down. You need to pause because they have stories too. So if you want to tell them about the amazing strawberry shortcake that practically dances off the plate using metaphor, enliven story, they need to be able to have space to say something back. Well, I have a, you know, a chocolate nightmare that, that scares me to death or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> um, but the thing I hate is... those chocolate nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> space for story to happen. So a hostess at a restaurant is more than let me show you your seat. It's let me give you a space so you feel welcomed, invited, and I will tend to build your story with you of fine eating. Whether you're working with a business or a, like they're, they're first trying to market their product, market their product, they need to stop. They need to find out who they're marketing it to and they need to develop the story so that it hits, it has impact. It comes back to what the science of storytelling is, is that it moves toward change or moves away from change. Story ebbs and flows. Um, it is not a flat line. So you have things like tellership. Who owns the story at the time? If we're talking and all of a sudden, uh, I don't know, Mickey Mouse comes across the screen, they're going to have more tellership. That's the way story and tellability, who has the right to tell the story. Embeddedness, moral stance. There's all kinds of things that are developed into a narrative to make impact. And people need to spend as much time working on their product or working on the story as they do of what they're going to sell because their product is connected to who they are, to the place that they're in, to the relationship 
street and to the person that says, oh, I want to go to this place, but I'm not sure, and goes to the neighbor and says, what do you know about this place? Imagine the world being that neighbor. That's how busy and important the story is. Absolutely. And you brought up an awesome point. Uh, we were at a restaurant once and they knew how to tell a story. It's like, would you like to sit at the bar because the bartender is fascinating and he's super fun and you love to get to know him. Or if you'd like somewhere more quiet, we can put you over in this other room that we have and they describe the room. Or if you really want to be around all the friends and stuff, there's a patio and you can do that. And the story that she told, and then she was silent. It was like, and now it's our turn to, where do we want to place ourselves in the story? Like, do we want to be by the bar? Do we want to be in quiet spot? Do we, and it was awesome. It was fantastic. So talk to me more about the pause. Sure. Um, silence before sound. Um, you want to, when I always say the best storytellers, when I go and perform or, or uh, talk or coach, uh, are the ones who arrive early and leave late. If you arrive early, you get the sense of the person that you're talking to. If you, if you, and, and I'm talking 15, 20 minutes or even an hour. Um, I know one person always arrives an hour early and then you leave late because if your story has made an impact, you need to give them that precious space so that they can tell your story. Now we rush to talk. I do a lot of breathing. Uh, uh, the, a Cheyenne storyteller named Lance Henson, who is now an established poet and uh, a Native American said, stories are gifts. It's up to us to take them and receive them. People don't thrust a birthday present at you. They have a moment of birthday. They say, blow out the candles. We need to think when we're telling the story, not how do we put a script and where do we put our pause lines? We need to look out to the person that we're talking to and if they're yawning, all of a sudden you've got to put the wolf into the fire, all right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and if they're like really excited and their eyes are jazzed, um, then, then you need to keep up the jazz. It's like breathing differently. 70% of all communication is developed on how we breathe. So if I'm performing for a thousand people or just talking to 10 about their business and the story that they gave me, I actually develop breathing with them. I say, breathe with me as we look inside the room that you just told me about. Very simple, pause moments story signals that will get you deeper into the story and not rush time. Nice. I love help? it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Love it. Uh, absolutely. Um, in one second, I'm going to edit this out. Can you um, close your calendar on your phone or whatever's binging? So, uh, cause I just don't want him to get distracted. Cause I could turn this off. This is awesome. On my computer. But we'll see. Yeah, I heard my cat. Uh, we have a new kitten. I heard <laughs> a couple times. <laughs> uh, mine's on my lap. <laughs> You're saying oh. Mickey Mouse comes across the street. It's like, yeah, and I got my cat on my lap. We have three, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I turned the phone off. I don't know if the computer will be. Oh, I could turn this one off. So I have two computers up, but one that I was going to. Uh. Awesome. Okay, so um, tell me, what, what else do I need to know about a, a, a good story? Well, uh, learn who you're telling it to. Mm -hmm. um, story, if stories are gifts, we want to think about it as having an unwrapping beginning. What I do is I start a story and then I have three seconds. So I say something like, 
wonder what it would be like to be in the jungle. Don't tell the whole story, just enough to move them. And then I give myself permission. I, I have a whole thing on give yourself permission to tell stories, to take risks, to make mistakes because we're connected to story. Um, and so I give myself permission to present my, my work as a gift, not as a fear thing. Here's the deal. Somewhere down the line, there's this old communication study that they said, we asked a thousand people, what would they like? What would they go without? A leg, an eye, or give a public speech? And 75% said they would never want to give a public speech. Let me give you an urban legend. That study doesn't exist. We create fear. From the time the parent came up to you and said you were so brave to say those lines, we've created a sense of fear of public speaking. It's not a, a, a dragon, it's just apprehension. Fear is a good thing. So when you look at telling a story, you're not memorized, you're not scripted, you're telling from the impact of the community that you see that the story needs. And it's a three cycle thing. It's teller, tell, and the listener. Without those three, there's a break. And so like in theater, there's a fourth wall. You pretend that the audience is some other external environment. In storytelling, the, the fourth wall disappears. So put that into a business, you need to look into the eyes. You need to see. So asking what, it, what is a good story is to look at them and see that as your playback. And so a good story has an unwrapping beginning. And so that's uh, more than something like, I mean, traditionally, once upon a time, what if it was once when there was no time? What if it was yesterday I woke up, I got in, I looked into my locker and my parents were frogs. <laughs> but putting it in a business sense, once we were there for 50 years, no. Once there was a fire that completely destroyed our building but didn't destroy our hearts and rebuilding. Or when the fire went away, we thought it was over. Change, what is the change element? But it wasn't. We grew 50 times. But then tell it from the single and to the general, not necessarily the general. You know, as they say, the old saying that if you tell about the wounded soldier, the one wounded soldier, as opposed to the thousand who died, the story for the newspaper is the one wounded soldier. But for business, you want to tell the impact moments. You want to have that person um, uh, tell on their heart what it means. Not, we have 12 versions of paper, and you can get this size and that size. They'll ask that later. <laughs> Leave room for the questions. Uh, a good story also has a wrap-up. It's not always, there's an Irish ending. Whether they lived happily ever after, that's none of my business nor yours. <laughs> so it's a point of connecting. Where are you connecting throughout the story? And a lot of people say, oh, I can't tell a story. I just sell product. Well, that's full story. Um, and you don't have to dramatize. And you, I've sat and listened to a woman sit in a chair at for a thousand people and mesmerize them for two and a half hours. It can be done. There are some skills in the process because it's a craft, it's an art, it's a science. And a lot of people say, well, I'll just do an hour's training. No, you need to have what I call deep listeners, 
not critical evaluators. You get those later. Your deep listeners are the ones that can retell the story back that you just told. And then they can suggest, because story in its truest form is a co-creative work. Does that help? Absolutely, it does. I'm loving every minute of it. So um, I guess let's go into business. So what would somebody be thinking going, I mean, I know, <laughs> it's going to be a kind of rhetorical question here in a second. What would somebody be thinking and go, oh my God, Kevin, I totally need you. Uh, well, they can catch me at kevincordy.com. Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> we'll get to how they get a hold of you. But what, are, what are they thinking right now that... What, what's their problem that they usually have that they're going, oh my God, I, I need this. Uh, so at what point where they have a block in their story? Is that what you're saying? Or they're just... Well, I'm, I'm thinking like I know that with me, I'm going, I always want my stories to be more fascinating. And I know that I tell a lot of metaphors. And so I have been told before that I'm really good at telling stories because almost everything I do is metaphorical. So I will take complex technical IT information about a business in the back end of how your emails get sent and you know the, the deliverability of them and all this really boring stuff. But when I'm on stage or if I'm talking to somebody in the sales room, it's metaphorical and it's a story because they don't give a shit about <laughs> their email deliverability. They, they don't give a shit about whether or not their IT works, right? But they, they want it to work. And, and they don't really understand what I'm talking about anyways if I start going into the IT of it. So, I mean, I value story immensely. And I, I think there's people out there that they like a good story, but they feel like they're boring or they feel like they just can't do that. Those are the kind of people I want you to talk to. It's like the ones that have the block that go, uh, I don't get it. Do I need you or, do I, or am I just completely useless at telling stories and I would never be able to do it anyway? First of all, there's no one that's completely useless, but let me use a metaphor. Let's say you wanna to go to a champion, you wanna ride in a champion bike race. You buy a bike, and that's all you do, for three months. After three months is the race. Are you ready? No. So that comes into two different things. One, narrative mindset. So the first thing that I have on narrative mindset is value silence. And I'm just talking about your everyday to sit down and look for the story and then keep a story journal that says, uh, this is what I saw today and then put it into a story. So you're riding that bike. So in addition to that, uh, I, I have something silly like follow an animal because it's so new and, it's, and, and, and see what story, who talks to them, follow a stranger. But here's the deal, respond in story. If narrative mindset, the, if you have an intention, uh, there's research that says that if you simply have the intention that you're going to live a better life, you will live seven to nine years longer. All right. And, you know, Carol Dweck with growth mindset and fixed mindset, I think the same thing applies to narrative mindset. So if you're, and this is not think about all the negative things that can happen. This is respond, think, act, and react in story. It's not that hard. So, let me give you an example. What did you, uh, Michelle, what did you have for breakfast today? Coffee. <laughs> Watch the strength of these two words that I got from Adian Chambers with a book by the same title. Tell me about your breakfast. 
I had coffee. It was cold. I put it in the microwave and uh, got hot coffee. And if you're a deep listener, tell me about how hot it was. Oh, well, it was, when it came out of the microwave, it was very hot. It was uh, tongue burning. Tongue burning. So tell me about the intensity of that tongue burning. <laughs> uh, well, when I, uh, when I burnt my tongue, I was shocked and dismayed. I almost blamed the cup for a second because it was that kind of a morning. <laughs> and then I started to laugh and realized that I should just put it on the counter and wait it out for a bit. <laughs> wow. And, and so... As a deep listener, I'm, I see these moments, tongue burning, waiting out on the counter, almost laughing, laugh, laughter from the heat. This person can come back and say, oh, wow, I thought this was a great story thing. But if we give ourselves permission to play, and since you said you like improv and spontaneity, um, here's what I want you to do. I do a thing called explode the moment and, and uh, de-elevate the moment. So you can see my hand. I want you to tell a story uh, that happened yesterday at three o'clock. But if I move my hand up, as you see, I want you to uh, explode that moment as long as my hand is up. But if I move it down, I want you to diffuse it into small, small things. We're gonna practice with me first because you have the power and I have the power. So tell me something to tell a story about and then I'll let you do explode the moment and diffuse the moment. Fun. Okay, I'm game. What are we doing? What? Give me a topic. I'm going to model it for you. Okay. Put your head out like this. And then when you go like this, I'm going to explode the moment, making it larger and larger. Not louder, but larger and larger. But if you put it down, it'll be smaller. So and everybody so on podcast is going to find out whether or not my hand is going up or down. Yeah, exactly. But if we're good at story, they can see that. And and so let's try it. Give me any subject. Awesome. Um, birds in the tree. Birds in the tree. So yesterday I was doing a daily walk and I saw a robin in a tree. It was on a third branch and it was a beautiful robin, but I don't know much about birds, but I know that it, it had a small beak, just a little one. And it had a yellow, uh, but it was more than yellow. It was like the yellow that you would see on a stoplight. And it, it stopped me almost immediately. And the bird talked and talked and said, why are you watching me? <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Your turn. Three o'clock yesterday. Tell me about it. There's no right or wrong, only better. Now, more. <laughs> you obviously don't know my life. Oh my God, I can't remember what three o'clock yesterday happened. Okay, I think I remember. Okay. I'm and go. Okay. So, yesterday at three o'clock, I was in a Zoom meeting. We had a lunch party for the podcasters, and it was. There was at least 16 of them and maybe 19 of them. And as we were talking, we were getting so excited about all of the things that were going on and all the topics that everybody had. And everybody was exploding with enthusiasm. There was like more and more people were coming on. There must have been about 100 people or so that were on the Zoom call. All right. So here's the deal. We don't give ourselves permission to vocally play. We're, we're like, we want to be a better speaker, and people give you writing exercises. I'm a writing coach and director for Ohio State and have been with the National Writing Project. 
I firmly believe in writing, but I also believe that if you're trying to find your voice, you need to use a voice. You need to have a playful partner. You, and, and my book about play is like a hundred different exercises of using play so that you can find your voice, so that you construct meaning because story is, according to Jerome Bruner, we have two different minds. We have analytical and we have narrative. And narrative is a way that we process meaning. So why aren't we using spoken word to come to uh, whatever we want to say, what we want to speech? Uh, a lot of people will go straight to a writing table and try to be creative. I mean, how creative is that when Lev Vygotsky, the sociologist, said in problem-based play, you, we are, quote unquote, a head taller in our learning merely because we're working together. Places like IBM, uh, places like uh, Apple, they literally have playtime designated at the top tier that they've said, we have a week where we just want you to play with new ideas and bring us new ideas. From what I understand, the iPod and the iPad and things like that has been developed through those particular moments of play. Microsoft has the same thing. Imagine your work company saying, here's what we're trying to do, go play. People think that play is a rehearsal for life. It is not. It is where we recharge, re-see, re-evaluate, re-energize, and re-jazz our ideas. Now couple that with a story mediator like myself. This is where it gets weird. You're telling a story, and I've, I, you know, I trained within some theater. I actually enter the now of your story without ever stopping, because we're not gonna stop and talk about your story, we might later, but I enter your story and take you various directions. You will always be in control, you can change and stop, but you give yourself permission to play, but I become a mediator in your play so that you can tell the impact story that you wanna tell. Nice. I, I love that. Five years to, uh, studying that with, with some amazing process drama specialists, Brian Edmondson, Dorothy Hufkin. Um, but walking inside the story that you want to tell will move. And whether it's your business story, where I'll have a client, I might come in as a client that's just a naysayer until you get to that explode the moment intensifier that says, you know what? You've convinced me. And it's real, because here's the deal, that the brain is wired for story and the research supports that when you're in the imagination, it, the brain acts as though what you are imagining is real in the context. There's no cerebral difference between the imaginary world that you're working in and the real world that you're working in. So if you're working through play through those cortex, you're going to be able to get the results because it's as though you're doing it now. It's how people react. If you're good at it, if you can mediate so that you make meaning. The deal is though, we don't operate with a narrative mindset. We artificialize the worlds that we're working in, in our business. You mentioned the email. That can be an amazing place to pull out a significant story, even for the blandest thing. Because you want to make connection every time you send something out. Why are you not greeting a person? Like uh, emails sometimes get to be matter of fact, that type of thing, and never a check-in. Every email should have one point of check-in, which says I'm checking in because I want to be part of your story. 
Nice. I love that. And for those of you who don't know, um, I am a certified instructor with the National Guild. Um, so I'm a, I train people on how to do hypnosis. And even in uh, working with people and executive coaches and getting people to understand that the story they tell themselves, even though it's based on things that have happened, we call that fact. But the things that uh, we dismiss, even though they were right, like the successes that we had, we can dismiss those, even though that is a fact too, because we obviously succeeded. We survived that instance. So in being able to tell ourselves a new story and um, feeling into it that that allows us to change the, our past narrative in how we function with things. So even though in the past we might have said, hey, I always did things wrong. And then when I say, okay, but now, as of now, but I don't have to say as of now, I just, now I'm doing it this way. And then we retrain our brain that, oh, okay, now I'm doing it this way. Now I'm super successful. Now I'm making money. And that part of our brain where, you know, when you buy a car and you never saw one on the road before, but now you see them everywhere that part of our brain clicks in and goes, oh, okay, I totally get it. Now I see that we were successful there and we were successful there. In fact, I've been successful every day of my life because I've survived them all. Oh, oh, okay. And then all of a sudden you start operating with a completely different perspective and it is super cool. Like I am just absolutely fascinated with how the brain works on that level and I could talk about that for hours, but I won't. Well, you move story possibilities to actualities. Yeah. And so you too are a story maker. And that's the other thing that's critical in storytelling is the process of story making to storytelling. A lot of people jump straight to, I'll just tell this story, but they don't become co-creative in, in their own life of creating the story that they, whether you're working with the tale of how to get your sales surging or an old one, one of the thousand Cinderella motifs, you want to work in the making process. There's no one line. I mean, when it came from oral tradition, it changes with, with time. Now there's some allegiances that you want to pay to the traditions. Like you don't want to give a surging sales story that doesn't exist or isn't possible unless you can make it possible. Um, and so the story making, and like I said before, making with other people, even if they're just listeners or they ask questions back and you respond in story, you're going to grow so much more in developing not only who you are, what you want to say, but recognizing who you're saying it to and who you're missing is very important. Nice. So you touched on it. So I'm going to run with it. Give us a Cinderella story of, uh, that you might have had with, if, if you have an example of a business owner, that would be awesome. But give us a Cinderella story of kind of rags to riches of somebody that went through your program and then succeeded. Oh, an actual Cinderella story. An actual one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, not like no. an hour long just like you know <laughs> give us a rags to riches kind of story that uh sure uh let me just think a little bit okay the first one that came to me um shannon shannon was a student uh, when she was in high school uh well let's just say she spent less time out of school than in school and one day i was working at my desk and i had a a uh, storytelling group called Voices of Illusion. And uh, we could have anywhere from 40 to 50 students walk by and just spend five to 25 hours a week after school just to tell a story and have a place. And one day I was writing and, and I looked up and there's probably um, 30 people at my desk, all adults in Shannon. And 
she's holding a dilapidated journal. Um, and she looks at me and she says, Mr. Cordy, my family is here. Can you please help? Can you, you personally tell my great uncle's story? And I'm like, okay, hold on a minute. And I look and it is a first person narrative, pictures, drawings, accounts of her great uncle, who is Chief Dan George of the Salish tradition. No. <laughs> oh, that and, is awesome. Uh, standing here with this. And I'm smart enough to know this is not my story to tell. And I look over and I say, it's not my story. I said, but I'll help you find it and tell it. And I helped her and found her voice. And sometimes she was out of school and I was in Canada. I was in Vancouver, I believe. And there's a Canadian bookstore that only has Canadian books. And I saw on the shelf, because my, my, my wife wanted to, I want to spend more time in bookstores than she does. And she said, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I stopped. And the, the silence was there because I saw a book, third party, the collected personal work of Chief Dan George. Awesome. And, you know, we all have those stories. And I taught high school for 14 years. I taught British literature, American literature, that type of thing. Almost all my students that I taught storytelling have communicated back to me in Facebook. I just, well, this, this is an embarrassing story, but last week I get an email kind of on Facebook that just, you know, they tag me. And one of my students, uh, someone got in her car and broke in and stole her camera, her phone. And she said, the most precious thing I had was Mr. Cordy's business card in my wallet. She said he was the only one that really helped me during school. And it's the thing that I'm going to miss the most. And it got back to me. So I sent her five business cards, uh, big postcards, and, and my most recent book. And honestly, she, I remember, she had trouble telling her story. And people say that they have a better voice because they've taken classes in storytelling. Maybe not that I did it. I, know, I can take some credit. But I gave her a space. It's like Lacey who said, uh, she came in, um, or no, it was Maggie. Maggie, I said, Maggie, go out and find someone who knows your story. And she came back to me in two weeks. She's an honor student uh, and asked you to tell a story. She said, Mr. Cordy, I, either I can't do this or I don't understand the assignment. In two weeks, no one has asked me for my story. And these were the teachers. No one's asked me for anything, she said. And so that's why we wrote Raising Voices. And here's another. A 45-year-old came up to me, seeing me telling stories. She came up to me and she said, I never had stories as a child. Is it okay that I want them now? I want Aww. you to think about that. That we should never have to escape from a fairy tale, a folk tale, a legend, a ghost story, a business story, a story for making meaning. So all the listeners, we, we are wired for story, but sometimes it's not answered. And so that's what I mean when story is about listening, because that's when you know the next story that you need to tell. And so if your business is not spending time designated to how these questions, 
What is the story we have now? What is the story of our past? What is the story of change? And the individual ways that people tell those stories, then your business isn't surviving as a narrative that people will remember. People remember slogans, but they remember stories better than slogans. Nice. I love it. So if people want to get a hold of you, how do they get a hold of you? Well, my, my website is very easy, kevincourty.com. I answer all email, which is k-c-t-e-l-l-e-r at sbcglobal.net. Uh, I think the best place is probably kevincourty.com. They can also subscribe to my blog um, if they want to be featured for their story, if, uh, if you want to be featured for your story, uh, because you're operating with mindset and business people need to have that. Uh, I invite them. Come on down. We're, we're listening. <laughs> awesome. I love it. So peeps, if you're listening to this on podcast and you're driving your car, can't write it down, go to awarenessstrategies.com slash blog and you'll be able to find Kevin under storytelling or all sorts of things. We'll have your, we'll have your story there. Nice. So before we depart, I um, have to ask you, at what point did you know that you were the special kind of crazy enough to think that you might become a successful entrepreneur? That's a great question. Uh, I'm still awakening to that question. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> that's, that's as though my story has already been written and I'm still telling it. I'm still listening for it. Um, I see it as moments of opportunity. I know that I'm paying attention to what story is teaching me and that has made me successful in more ways than, than just a financial boon, but just the community that I allow myself to enter and, and even the risky places I go, I go equipped with narrative. Nice, I love that. Love, love, love. Awesome. Well, it has been absolutely fantastic talking to you. I can't wait to get you on another episode at some point. Um, and any departing words for our peeps? Michelle, thank you for actually chronicling and bringing people together to tell their powerful stories and the stories of how they struggle and, and be challenged. Without things like this podcast, then the narrative will be silent. And uh, also your mediation of working through that story. So the best I can say is, until we tell again, see you then. See you then. Thank you for listening to our show. I am all about being a resource center for entrepreneurs to give them the information and the support they need to make it in business. As such, I have Taking Your Business Digital Q&A every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Mountain. To register for that, go to awarenessstrategies.com slash digital. That's D-I-G-I-T-A-L. I look forward to meeting you and actually finding out how you are. So see you on the flip side.